0: Hey, queens and kings, this is Sharana Reeves, and you are listening to These Three Things Podcast, a podcast for women, where the conversation is about us, our relationships, and every area of our lives. This show is about unity, support, kindness, and keeping it 100% real. So we can rise up, move. Hey queens, kings, and good people. I am Sharana Reeves. You are listening to these three things podcast. And man, let me just tell y'all, I just want to say thank y'all. And I appreciate all of the feedback that I get, especially from the mother and son relationships episode. I love that you guys appreciated my son's honesty. I will tell you though, I mean, It takes courage to speak about your life and share it with people, especially your failures. You know, successes are much easier to talk about. But one of the purposes of these three things is to keep the conversation real. That's the focus here at all times is to keep the conversation real. It would be much easier and much more comfortable to hear that I did everything right as a mom. But the reality was I was on the road a lot. I was away from home a lot. And to hear my son tell me that when he needed me most, I wasn't there. (sighs) So crushing to hear, so crushing to hear because you always want to be there for your children. So it's very important that we have these real conversations for you moms out here who have busy, hectic careers or busy, hectic lives or not even a career. Let's just say you're involved in a lot of things. And you're not recognizing that you're not putting the time in or being there for your kids when they need you to. So it's hard putting your failures out here or things that you didn't do that were so great. But again, uh, that's not what this podcast is about. I'm not trying to be perfect over here at these three things podcast. I want to be real. I want to be authentic. I want to be genuine and transparent And a lot of times, y'all, the reasons why we don't have these type of conversations is because we care too much about what other people might say or think about our lives. And I'll be honest with with my listeners. At this point in my life, I'm not worried about that. I could care less. And you know what? None of my guests care either. This is why I always big up the guests who come on these three things podcasts because all of my guests have come on the show and kept the conversation 100% real. Sharing their experiences, talking about areas in their lives where they've struggled, talking about therapy, talking about love, talking about loss, talking about relationships, the dynamics of relationships in their lives, the men and the women. Everybody who's come on this show has bared their business and could care less what the next person thinks. And that's what I love. That's why I am you know, every guest that I have, I feel like is my favorite, but I really do have to give a shout out to all of the guests who have been on these three things podcast. I know last week I celebrated my one year anniversary. July 21st, 2020 was the day the first episode of these three things podcast was launched. My little pie baby is now a toddler. She's a year old So I'm excited about that, and I'm excited that my audience continues to grow with each episode. That just means the most to me and all of you who share it. What I really need for y'all to do, though, is go start leaving reviews. Apple, Pandora, iHeartRadio, you can leave reviews on any one of those platforms. Go leave a review. You're listening to the show. Go take two minutes out of your day and go and leave a review and tell me what you love about these three things podcast tell me why you're listening to the show I really want to know that and it's just really great for the growth of my show so I appreciate all of you for going and doing that today and you know what based on the emails that I've gotten those conversations that I've had with my guests have helped a lot of people and that is what these three things is about We're not out here worrying about what a self-conscious person might be thinking. My guest and I are out here trying to have real conversations that inspire us and grow us and challenge us to check ourselves and be better. And that makes me happy. I did an episode on happiness, so I'm just letting y'all know that that makes me happy. Okay, so let's get into today's episode. I am introducing you guys to the Queens of Houston judy ebony and tamika let me just tell you all let me give you all a little background story because it's always a story with me i don't know how it always ends up being a story with me but i got stories i gotta tell them so here we go i had scheduled a flight to go to houston get to the airport my flight has been canceled because we've got bad weather over here in savannah so I have to call Tamika. You guys will remember Tamika from the f- very first episode of season two with her book Grateful and Greedy. If you have not listened to the episode, go back and check Tamika out. This sister is the real deal, has written a great book called Grateful and Greedy, a former athlete who now owns her own business, Grit and Grind Athletics. We'll talk about it a little bit in this episode. But if you want to know more about Tamika, you can go and listen to uh her episode. So I had to call Tamika and tell Tamika that I wasn't going to make my trip because my flight's been canceled. And I was kind of bummed out because I'm always excited to go to Houston. Love going to Houston. And I'd already flown to Houston once to interview Tamika. So I was looking forward to going back because I was going to get to hang out with Judy and Ebony, whom I had not met. Well, a few days later, Tamika reaches out to me and she says, hey, I got to come up for a thing in Atlanta we're thinking about flying into Savannah and just doing the episode in Savannah. I'm like, what? Say what? Say less. Let's go. They book their flights. They fly into Savannah. I pick them up from the airport and we just had the best time. I literally felt like I had known Judy and Ebony forever. And this is really starting to be like a pattern with me and my relationships with the people who are on the show. Like we get together and we just vibe. And so I'm loving that energy because it lets me know that I am interacting with people that I should be because the vibe is always good. And the vibe always matters too. We had a great time. I introduced these ladies to my favorite summer drink. It is Kettle One Botanicals Vodka Grapefruit and Rose with Lemonade. They loved it. As a matter of fact, (laughs) Judy sent me a picture when she got back to Houston. She'd already purchased it before she was on her way to Vegas. It's a great drink. Kettle One Botanicals Vodka, Grapefruit and Rose with Lemonade, so good. Y'all try it, let me know. Dr. Patricia was with us by phone, and we talked about Black women and stereotypes, and we focused on Mammy, Angry Black Woman, Strong Black Woman, Jezebel, and Sapphire. I don't know how much we'll get to in this episode because I'm recording this before I have started editing, but I can promise you this will be a two-part episode, but I don't think that you'll be disappointed and I definitely think that you'll be happy to come back and finish off the episode wherever we pick the conversation back up. My listeners of other races and backgrounds, this episode will give you knowledge and wisdom on stereotypes that have typically been saddled onto black women. And it will help you to identify them. So if you have participated in these stereotypes, if you have unknowingly participated or willingly participated, it'll give you some insight on how these stereotypes affect us and shape us as black women. Let's get into it. Black women and stereotypes. Introducing the Queens of Houston, Judy, Ebony, and Tamika with executive coach, Dr. Patricia Thompson. Enjoy. For almost a century, Scarrett Bennett Center's historic Gothic campus has been a choice location for dream weddings in Nashville. Consistently rated one of Music City's best places to get married by The Knot, Wedding Wire, and Toast of Nashville, Scarrett Bennett Center offers three timeless venues for your wedding. A 20-person elopement chapel, a 300-person wedding chapel, and a breathtaking garden. From rehearsal to reception, Scarrett Bennett Center is ready to help you create the intimate, historic wedding of your dreams. Visit our website at scarrettbennett.org forward slash weddings for more information. Hey, this is Sharana Reeves, and you are listening to These Three Things podcast. I am going to be introducing to These Three Things audience the queens of Houston. y'all hate my applause button i know my fans like girl will you find another button besides that applause button (laughs) no no ma'am i like my applause button it does what it does let it do what it do so um yeah i'm with the queens of houston today i'm super excited about having this conversation we're going to be talking about black women and stereotypes Uh, One of the queens of Houston, you guys already know, she is familiar to these three things, Tamika Newman. Uh, We did a review and a deep conversation just about a lot of things from her book, Grateful and Greedy. So y'all check that episode out. It's in season two, Grateful and Greedy. Actually, it was the first episode to drop in season two, Grateful and Greedy. So what's up, Tamika? Say hi to everybody. They know you.
1: Hey, I'm back.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, as you listen to the show, you know, I always like to introduce or talk about how I know the people that I know, how I'm, uh, the people that I'm podcasting with or doing episodes with how I know them. Uh, we have Judy and we have Ebony and I did not know Judy or Ebony. I only knew them through Tamika. And so I reached out to Tamika and I was like, Hey, do you think you can put together some women who can have... A dynamic conversation about Black women and stereotypes, and she was like, "Yeah, I got that." So I'm so excited. We went out last night, y'all, in Savannah. These women came to Savannah, Georgia, to do this episode, and we went out last night. Hey, Had us a good old time. I was I was playing Auntie, you know, because I'm a little older
2: than these women, but you know, <laughs> we appreciate the Southern ha- hospitality. Uh,
0: thank yeah. you, thank you, thank you. We are recording this episode in my home, and so um let's get into it, you guys. Uh, let's do first introductions first. Uh, so, as I said, you guys know Tamika Newman from her Grateful and Greedy book. Uh, Tamika, welcome to these three things again.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm so excited that I brought some friends along for a great conversation, like you said. So, I, I'm excited to be back um, in your presence, and thank you for welcoming us into your homes.
0: Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Let's welcome Judy to these three things. Judy, welcome.
3: Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, thanks, Tamika, for also um, really introducing me to this situation. Is is um, <laughs> super excited. <laughs> <laughs>
0: We got you, girl. We got you. And last but not least, and her name is as fly as this conversation is about to be, Ebony, welcome to These Three Things.
2: Well, thank you for having me. Um, I feel honored that Tamika selected me and Judy as uh, three people that she would think of to have this conversation. So I'm so happy to be here today.
0: Okay. well, let me let me start with this question first. Was the research that you did on this eye-opening to just stereotypes in general? Did you find that you learned stuff about how we're perceived as black women stereotypically that you were not aware of? And I'm gonna start with you first, Judy, on that and ask you, did you learn anything when we were researching the topics of what we were gonna be talking about today?
3: Right, I did. Um, I've always understood the, um, how people felt and perception felt about black women. Mm-hmm. I never really considered how we felt about each other and how we reflect our fears and others' perception onto yeah. each other. So not only are we um, always fighting stereotypes in daily lives when we go in the workplace with other races, but even when we're working with women who look like us. Yeah, Yeah.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. We all kind of start to take in what others how others perceive us yeah. so we end up interacting with each other the same way that we feel that others see us so right. we start to believe that we are those stereotypes
0: yes so. yes that's so real because there's questions that I have written down to certain stereotypes that I ask do we actually we do we own that one I mean, that stereotype, do we actually own it? Yeah. And some of them we do. Yeah. We do own them. We mm-hmm. do own them. And some of them we picked up. I feel like that. We picked it up. Yep. Mm-hmm. We picked it up. Tamika, did you, what did you find when you went through this?
1: Uh, same as them. We are hyper aware of the stereotypes the world has of us, um, not so aware of the ones that we have for each other. And, you know, that's including me. Um, the judgment I have for women who, you know, maybe five years ago, were um, some of the decisions that they made, how they lived their life. And um, it was really a reflection of what I thought about myself, what I thought my limitations were, um, how I thought certain things would be perceived. Um, yeah, so yeah, we, we're doing what is done to us and we don't like it and we are definitely doing it to each other. And it's so limiting for you and for myself as a black woman. And then when I do that, Unconsciously or consciously to another system.
0: Yeah. You know, when I think about the work of these three things and the reason why I created this podcast, I find that we have at least mentally got to start thinking about how and why we are functioning with each other the way we are as black women. I got to think deeper about that. I just can't go about my normal life anymore and act like me sizing you up as a sister and rolling my eyes at you and not speaking to you when you walk by, getting popping attitude with you for no reason or sabotaging you on the job because I don't like you or not speaking to you. Cause you know what, you light skinned Ebony and you know what, you think you cute cause you light skinned. Why are we functioning like that? And I don't think as black women, we, we really ask ourselves that question. Hmm. And where is that coming from and what the root of it is? And a lot of these stereotypes I find, like what you guys said, we're perpetuating on each other. We perpetuate on each other, you know. So um I want to get into because the first thing that I wanted to do was break down a stereotype. What is a stereotype? What does that mean? And I'm gonna I'm gonna read the definition of a stereotype, a standard mental picture that is held in common by members of a group that represents an oversimplified opinion, prejudiced attitude, or uncritical judgment. That's what a stereotype is, and today in this episode, we're gonna be talking about Mammy, angry black woman, strong black woman, Jezebel, and Sapphire. We're gonna be talking about those five different stereotypes of black women in the black community. And I wanna start with Mammy, before we take our dive into the Mammy stereotype, let's welcome executive coach, Dr. Patricia Thompson, to the show. She is just now joining us by phone. Dr. Patricia, welcome to These Three Things, season three.
4: Thanks for having me again. It's good to be here.
0: Dr. Patricia, you are with the Queens of Houston, Judy, Ebony, and Tamika. Dr. Patricia, I'm going to start with you first. Can you give us the origins and the depiction or definition of the mammy stereotype?
4: Yeah, so the mammy stereotype was originally advanced by white slave owners. And mammies were seen as really non-threatening, nurturing, selfless people um, who were very loving and devoted to their oppressors' families, more so than to themselves or to their own families. And she was often depicted as someone who was, you know, very dark-skinned and overweight and you know having a kerchief on her head and being asexual and very religious and just was really prepared to sacrifice for life for their benefit and um, you know the stereotype basically was created to justify their treatment and you know having uh, black women taking care of the slave owners families and not being able to devote time to their own families. Um, But at the same time, it also made them seem less threatening to have in the home if they're these asexual creatures who, you know, no one supposedly would be ever attracted to.
0: Mammy was the one that jumped off the page to me immediately when I started my research. I could identify Mammy right away. Did you guys find that to be the same?
2: Mm. Definitely. That was the first example that I had of a a stereotypical woman. My grandmother was, uh, I felt, in my view... That that mammy, um, she she played that mammy role to the T. She was a woman that gave up her whole life. Um, she for the sacrifice of her kids. She was not educated. She was very dependent on my grandfather, mm-hmm. and to the extent where if she didn't have the ability to make her own decisions, once he started cheating on her and so what she ended up doing was just sleeping in the house with a man that you know she was dependent on but didn't really love the same way anymore Mm. so i believe they also said that the mammy wasn't like a sexual person Mm -hmm. and so you know she was always covered up um very like non sexual, <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, we see the mammy role being played out today in movies like The Help, uh, all my dear movies, Tyler Perry, my yeah. We see mammy in that. We also see a little bit of the sapphire in my too, with that sassy, which we're going to get into that, you know, personality and stereotype as well. Uh, and even Ma, did y'all, did y'all see the uh, uh, Octavia Spencer movie Ma? I did, you did, mm-hmm. she even was a little bit of the mammy role and how her how she took care of those kids and mothered and loved everybody. Even though there was a little deception and deviousness behind it, it was still an example of the Mammy role. I guess my question to you, and I I wanna start with you first, Judy. When you started to research Mammy, did you see um, yourself in Mammy at all? And did you see, like looking back over family, like Mammy? You could identify Mammy. Because I'm gonna tell you, there's parts of Mammy that's in me. Mm and I think as a black woman some of that we we we're brought up in it. So I want to know in when I talked to each one of y'all individually, did you see it in yourself and who could who did you identify in your family that was this role?
3: Um I did see it in myself. Um just the mothering aspect. You find yourself especially when you're around um we mo- we even mother each other as grown women. Mm-hmm. You know, uh with my friends, everybody has a certain role. I'm more like the mother. I was the first one to have a kid, and I played that role, just mm-hmm. being a mother to them. Yeah, you know, um, I saw s- parts of it in my grandmothers, but one of my grandmothers was more sapphire, mm. definitely. Yeah, and <laughs> my grandfather was more of the passive person in in, in that role. And mm-hmm. then I had my other grandmother, who was the sweetest. And she played more of the mammy role, but she had a silent strength behind her. So it wasn't the, um, it was the meekness, Mm -hmm. but also she dispelled strength, but it was behind closed doors that you would get it.
1: And I think about my grandmother who, um, I could definitely see a lot of mammy in her, but worked, you Mm -hmm. know, 40 Mm -hmm. hours a week, she got up and worked. And she still did the same amount of housework and picking up behind you, that the women did that didn't work. Mm-hmm. I mean, her plate was <laughs> full. And then again, she raised us. So she was raising kids for like 25, you know, 20, 30 straight years. It was a kid to raise. Um, but it it looked different, but she was definitely um, you know, a mammy. You know, my grandmother would get in at 430, you would eat by six. Mm-hmm. She'd stand that whole hour and thirty minutes just busy. She didn't go sit down. You'd eat by six. It was an insane work ethic. And she had insane expectations of me as well. But I remember getting to college and I talked to Sharana about this. And I was one of the only college, I was cooking a actual meal for my boyfriend. And he was inviting folks over. And it was this, you know, thing. It it was this bragging right for him. Um, and before, you know, he even knew I could cook. You know, freshman dorms, you just got a microwave. So we just dating. We go get our McDonald's, whatever. We get the apartment. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm a cook. You know, I cook a couple things. And I think it literally, okay, we weren't supposed to be having sex. We were, right? it reduced me in his eyes. He loved it. He valued it. It was this mommy thing for him. Mm-hmm. It immediately... I'm not even kidding, reduced my sexual appeal for him. I mean, I'm an in-shape college, you know? I'm in the mm-hmm. prime of my life. I knew I looked good. <laughs> Could have dated several guys. To him, it did. I became this, it, it, it friend-zoned me and mammy-zoned me. Wow. Um, and we stayed together because there was a love there. He loved the way I loved him, the way I took care of him. And he would say it in so many words, but you're so mm-hmm. stupid at 19. Yeah, and his mom would give me this, you know, long hug when we would go back to school on Sundays. She sent us with groceries, you know, Mm -hmm. packs of chicken wings and canned goods and bags of potatoes. She was encouraging it. Mm -hmm. Okay, you his mammy away from home, Mm -hmm. and uh, God, I had despised my grandmother for the same thing.
0: So, ladies, do you guys feel that? There is a sort of teaching, not so much the 18th century slave mammy, but the evolved 2021 mammy, where we are still in many ways being taught by how we're raised as young women on the cooking, the cleaning aspect, our role as the woman and the opposite of what we see with our brothers or our male cousins and the expectations that are placed up on them. Uh, what do you guys see in that in your family? Have you recognized that at all?
3: But I think that's one of the things that um, the elders place in our mind very early. Very early on, they start telling young women how to be a wife. They never say anything to young men about Nobody's how, to be, them how husband, to be a husband, you no. know? And then they're expected to know how to be a husband, but the whole time it's okay for them to Go here and there, bounce from here to there, do X, Y, Z, mm-hmm. yep. and then you're expected to be. Oh, you know how to be modest. Oh, you have to know how to cook because we right. could, we were yeah. cooking as a badge of honor. Oh wait, no, I can smother some chicken. You talking about
0: <laughs>
1: old school? Oh no, I don't. I cook from scratch. I you know like oh yeah, it's so a bragging right. Yeah, I think you and I talked about something. Even when you learn chores, and it could be a southern thing. Yeah. I had five things to do, and we moved a lot, depending on where we lived, if we had a yard because we were renting a house. Then my brothers had the yard with my with my grandfather, but if we moved in a town home where we didn't have a yard, we just had a patio, I had five things, and their name only got called when everything was done to vacuum the whole house. Mm-hmm. I would sort the clothes of like three teenagers, nasty football, basketball shorts, my stuff, my grandfather. I was sorted. Of, you could only wash one time a week, so we talking five huge piles just um, in the washroom. But we talked about that. She had, like, yeah. way different chores than her brother's.
2: When Yeah, when I was younger, we would go over to my grandmother's house, my mom's mom's house, and we had a lot of cousins who were around the same age, and it's basically five girls and uh, five boys on that side. So... When we were younger, uh, my grandmother used to have these card games and we would be over there and they would um, want us to clean up. Mm-hmm. And it would be like the girls, it was only the responsibility of the girls to mm-hmm. clean up. Um, so we would have to wash the dishes and clean up after them. They would you know, ask us to make them coffee. We would have to wait on them. Um, and the boys would just be in the other room playing video games. And I've always been the type to observe these things. And I'm always like, what's fair? And I looked at that as just not fair. And so I feel like in looking at this, I rebelled against it. Mm. So you can't even get me to cook. You Mm -hmm. can't really get get me to clean. Like that's (laughs) no, that's not going to be my role. You know, and that's how it really affected me Mm -hmm. and you know, I kind of am living by myself, so I do those things, mm-hmm. but it's like a, it's a not real going, chore.
3: Yeah, you're not gonna make me do it.
0: Yeah, I definitely not. feel like we are mammy trained, definitely without uh, without realizing that we're mammy trained. But I think the older that we get, and as we evolve as Black women, uh, as this nation evolves, as our culture evolves, as things around us evolve. I think that we we're gravitating more to where you are Ebony like I get to choose like yeah but when I think about just the mammy role in general and what I see in my family uh, my mother my grandmother on my mother's side was definitely um mammy elevated she wasn't as reconstruction slave mammy but there was aspects of Mammy to her. But she always, when my grandfather died, she always kept a boyfriend. Matter of fact, my grandmother never even told us that she married her boyfriend. Until she died, we found a marriage license. Oh, all man. them years, we thought that they was just living together. That was a whole husband and wife. Oh. Never told anybody. She went and bought, like, very forward-thinking woman. She went and bought burial plots for all of her children. So never said a word about it. Like so many things that she did business-wise that she had in place, never spoke about it. Just did it. When y'all, when I die, y'all'll know. Now my grandmother on my mother's on my dad's side was a lot more mammy. She had eight kids, but she was very like you know she never had a man around. Uh, she's you know very spiritual. Uh, not to say that my grandmother on my mother's side wasn't, but. She lived my grandmother on my mother's side lived a full more a, a more full life. Like I'm more of a full woman. My grandmother on my on my dad's side was a little more mammy-ish. Now, when I think about myself and how mammy has tried to make itself a part of my life is ironically in the coaching world. When I first started coaching, a lot of black females were all single. They did not have any children. They did not have any men in their lives. Their job was to mother those kids that they recruited. These are my kids. I'm going to go out here and recruit these kids, and I'm going to build relationships with their families. And my job is to keep these African American black kids happy. Mm -hmm. And I began to notice that after a couple of years of coaching that, oh, that's why there is this big influx of hiring black assistants and wanting a black assistant. And when I first came into the game, and this was way back in 1995 was my co- first coaching job. This was a whole like, well, they wanted, we want them to be able to speak well, we want them to look a certain way, we mm-hmm. want them to, all of these things that they wanted for us to have so that I could do well in a white home if we're recruiting a white kid. I can go into a white home and, you know, articulate myself and have, you know, intelligent conversation. But more importantly, I need you to be a person that can go into a black home and get these black kids and get these black kids to come and play. And I still feel like today, a lot of programs that's still being perpetuated a lot in college women's sports. They hire us as the black people to go and get them. And then when you get them, you're expected to be mothering. Or now, when when I started in 95, it was to mother them. This generation don't want to be mothered. They don't want you to mother them. This generation wants you to be cool with them. They want you to be best friend. They want you to be homie. Uh, I had just had this conversation with a, in another interview that I just did recently where I talked about how it wasn't that I didn't want to be friends with the kids of today. It's just that some of the things that were being expected of me to be with this generation of kid, I no longer agreed with. And my job, honestly, if I really love you and care about you, is to prepare you for what I know is coming for you. Right. Not just to keep you happy so we can go out here and win these games. We got to win these games. You know, I want to keep you, you know, satisfied and keep you up. That's a whole part of it. But if you over here doing foolish stuff and acting a fool and, you know, the police are getting called and y'all over here fighting and you over here smoking weed and you over here sleeping with two of your teammates and causing all this dissension on the team. Cause y'all know in women's sports, we deal with everything that I just said. Yes, ma'am. My job ain't to come patty cake you. Mm-hmm. My job is to talk real talk to you in that moment. And I felt a lot of times the people that were in charge, didn't care about the ultimate future of what this black girl is going to need. It's about, no, you're just not keeping them happy right now and letting them do whatever the heck they want to do so we can win these games. And if you're going to cost me games because you're more concerned about their well-being as a whole Mm -hmm. as opposed to just keeping them happy and letting them do what the heck they want to do so we can win these games, then you can't be here. And I'm like, well, if that's the expectation of me, I don't want to be here.
2: So you mentioned an expectation that you would play that mammy role for your, uh, for your, uh, athletes. Yeah. So where did that come from? What, where did that, where did you feel that expectation came I from? I felt like the
0: expectation was placed on me by the people that I worked for.
2: Was it explicit or?
0: No, it wasn't. It was implied. Okay. It was implied. And you kind of know, mm-hmm. you kind of know when there's a problem, and the head coach says, well, y'all call coach. Well, at that time I was coach Alexander. Y'all call coach A or, and when, you know, once I was married, y'all call coach Reeves.
2: And the reason why I asked that is because sometimes it could be both. You in the responsibility to do that because you were raised that way and conditioned that way. And they feel that you can play that role because you've kind of shown that. in the Yes. Right. So. And I did.
0: I, and, and you know what, to be honest with you, and I think that's a great, point ebony because i didn't mind it when it was allowing me to mother them more because in mothering i can also correct Mm -hmm. but as children have changed over the years they don't really want to be corrected and they've been exposed to so much more than the kids back in 1995 they think they know more than you already so when you're trying to tell them things mothering doesn't really work with them anymore right. it's more about like i said i want you to be cool with me i want you to see all this nonsense i'm doing and we, we cool tamika talk about that talk about a little bit about you know you said you wanted to talk about the mammy piece in the sports world because you you know were oh, a coach was a coach like me
1: oh yeah i felt it was you know so I, like i said i got interested in sports um probably as a way to get out of the house i'm gonna i'm gonna go use my brain i don't want to work with my hands the rest of my life yeah so use that as a vehicle, you know, got out of the house, used sports as a vehicle to, you know, change my life and chose coaching. And I'm like, I'm sharp enough to do this. I have knowledge. And the first thing that happened was I realized as a black coach, coaching a mostly white sport, is that even as the head, they still wanted me just to mammy. They were still telling me, you're not smart enough. You You can motivate them, you can encourage them. Mm-hmm. Don't try to teach them nothing different than what their expert coach that I pay good money for is teaching. Right. Them. Don't try to, you know, and even though you want to meet a mother them, you even want it to put restrictions on that, you can mother them and correct them, but don't be calling me for meetings about my daughter doing what I know she's not supposed to be doing the audacity of you to be telling me my daughter's up here cutting up. right? Mm. Um, And so again, I found myself running from that again. And then when I would get a white assistant, um, and I actually would interchange mammying with being bad cop. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, and you know, that's a statement with bad cop where, um, there's no standard. Um, there's no apparent standard. The kids don't understand the standard. Um, I have my own personal standard so I'm correcting you based on that mm-hmm. and other people are not and so it looks like you're bad cop which right. is kind of the and role
0: you are listening to these three things podcast black women and stereotypes with the queens of houston judy ebony and tamika with executive coach dr patricia thompson We'll be right back. If you want to find more information about this episode and my guest, go to www.these3-things.com. Go to our podcast page and click on this episode. Do you need to get a handle on your stress? Need to get better control of your emotions? Join the 19,000 plus students who have taken Dr. Patricia Thompson's 21-day crash course in emotional intelligence. You'll learn practical techniques that will help you to manage your emotions, improve your relationships, and get ahead in your career, all in the comfort of your own home. Learn more at her website, silverliningpsychology.com, on the self-study page. Again, that's silverliningpsychology.com.
2: But in in me doing the research, they talked about this transition from different... The Mammy was the first stereotype. Then yes. you transition to like this angry black woman. Yes. Because these people were getting fed up with not being appreciated. Then you got the next generation yes. where I got to feel like I'm, you know sexties so that I could be appreciated and right. things like that. Yes. So, like I can kind of see this newer generation just evolving into another stereotype because of what they've seen from their, um, you know, upbringing. Yes, and they're, they're rebelling. Oh, how we're responding to? Yes, yeah.
1: yes, that's a great point. I think mine brought this up, and I truly can believe that this caused a dissension because there was quite a few women in my family. And I was the first one to really do sports. Mm. So it took me out of the house. And so my aunt made this joke. She said, oh, you know, you used to find a tournament or some ball to go kick, play, shoot, whatever, so you could get out of cleaning up on Saturdays. Because we would clean up from 8 to, like, noon. Mm. And so by 12, 13, I had a tournament, first of all. My grandmother would save me something to do. Mm-hmm. Let's be let's be clear. She would literally <laughs> save me something to do. Uh I left you something in there. But <laughs> when she said it, my aunt wasn't wrong and she was being snarky and ugly, mm-hmm. you know, just saying I was lazy and unmotivated. Definitely not. Mm-hmm. But I was gonna get out of that cycle. I was getting out of there. No, All I'm right. not. I'm like I'm gonna clean for four hours, then we gonna cook. Um then I'm a cleaner dishes. No, I was getting out of it. And to this day, I truly believe my sister and my aunts had some um resentment. Yeah.
0: Dr. Patricia, I think that we've shared a lot of conversation just in this mammy stereotype section, where I think that our view of the mammy characterization is a lot different than the 18th century slave mammy. While we do in some ways still feel like the nurturing piece and us having uh, been taught as young women to care for certain things and to cook and to clean. But what I am noticing just in each one of the conversations that I'm listening to, there are some characterizations and some similarities in uh, the 18th century mammy and the current mammy that is true. There is some legitimization to how we are raised that have been taken from uh, that stereotype, wouldn't you say?
4: I think a lot of women naturally tend to be very nurturing and caretaking. But, you know, if you think of an enslaved woman at that time, she had no agency in her life. And basically, I think had to do whatever she had to do in order to survive, Mm -hmm. you know, And, and that's, I think, A lot of us still, you know, like if you think in the corporate world, still do what we have to do in order to survive. Um, And so, you know, in terms of how much truth there is in the stereotype, I mean, I guess if you thought about it in a lot of stereotypes, there could be a kernel of something that is legitimate for someone. But I mean, they're so far taken to the extreme that they just become caricatures of who anybody is.
2: Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel that the mammy role is still prevalent today?
4: Um, You know, I think it's lessened to some extent, just because I think we're more creating our own paths. And I think we're also more aware of stereotypes. Um, So, you know, like, I think y'all were talking about the movie, The Help. And, you know, just even the consciousness several years after that movie was made, as people were looking back at it with a much more critical eye, So I think we're much more aware of it, and people are more likely to call out things like that Mm -hmm. than they were, you know, even 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. But I still think there are definitely some elements of it around. Like I said, for example, in the workplace, uh, we might feel like we have to defer or not create too many waves. And I I mean, I think that also touches on some other stereotypes. But, you know, we want to be seen as easy to get along with. Um, there's actually research that shows that black women are more prone to be doing the office housework, which is um, the less important tasks that don't get you ahead in your career. So things like having to order lunch or taking notes during a meeting. And as a black woman, you might feel like, why am I doing this? But by the same token, you might feel like, well, I can't raise a stink about it because then I'll be perceived negatively. And so I think we have so many different forces that are kind of shaping how we're going to behave. And I think that mammy stereotype sometimes gets played out that way because people see us in that role.
0: Do you feel that a lot of this is knowingly like for the example, for example, the example that you just gave about the black woman kind of being more of doing the motherly things, the household things inside of the office at times. And, not really being able to say anything because, you know, you don't want to get the angry black woman title. Do you feel like those are intentional things, or that's just because they're oblivious to the fact that they're that they're asking us to do it, or it's just uh, uh, unex- um, uh, I'm trying to think of the word I want to use a
4: like unconscious bias. Yes, an
0: unconscious thing that white people have towards us that they expect for us to be, but we can't respond because then in in our response, we we appear to be angry.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's probably the outright racist who's doing it on purpose, but I think probably more commonly it's unconscious bias and just that we've been swimming in this soup of racism for so long that people have internalized these stereotypes and are expecting people to behave in certain ways without even being aware of what they're doing. And I think, you know, even the quote unquote, like woke white people who who want to be doing well Mm -hmm. and want to treat others well, I think they're still privy to it too, just because, you know, we're all in this society and a lot of these things are so prevalent.
0: Tamika, I wanted to go back and ask you this question because earlier you talked about how, Your aunt had made the comment about you always found a ball to go play, kick, or throw uh, to get out of the household chores that the other women in the house were responsible for doing. Did any of you guys ever, well, first, Tamika, can you elaborate more on that? Did it cause any dissension that you noticed in your family? And can anybody else relate to that piece of, Either by standing up for yourself and refusing to do it or getting involved in other things where you didn't have to take on those roles as the house cleaner, the cook, uh, all of the women duties that are sometimes passed on to us. Did you guys find there to be any confusion or uh, dissension or frustration in your families?
1: Now that I think about it, I was motivated to be smart, it wasn't the expectation. But when I set that expectation for myself, then my grandma jumped on board and was like, why you gotta be? Mm -hmm. But I don't remember at the beginning of the year saying, you better not come here. I first showed an interest in academics. My sister did not, and no one pushed her. So Mm -hmm. she didn't love that. She wasn't athletic. Uh, She didn't really have any interest. Then because she was 10 years older, she actually mothered us. We took some of her childhood and Mm -hmm. I apologize to her for that recently but I think I got the heck out of there because I was like, oh no, I can see how this is going. No, mm-hmm, exactly. no, 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 no. And it definitely <laughs> caused a divide. And I now that I think about it, so many other women I know that have sisters. Um, when you became pr- more progressive, it, there was a dissension.
2: I, I had that same experience. Um, so me and another cousin, we're the same age, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and... She kind of, we kind of went in very different directions. I went on the education track Mm -hmm. and she kind of went on the, I'm independent and she didn't go to college. And so early on, she was the first one to have a kid of all of my cousins. And she then became expected to, um, you know, when it's Thanksgiving time, who's going to be bringing stuff and cooking? Like I was never asked to cook anything. Yeah. And my cousin, if she was like overstressed at that time, and she decided not to bring some ham, my grandmother was like, "That old lazy helper," Mm -hmm. you know. Like (laughs) she.
0: Meanwhile, you weren't asked to do anything. (laughs) No. Yeah.
2: Like yeah, bring uh, uh, plates and and cups and spoons. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know,
3: uh, we didn't have a. My mother had a very. The expectation was the same for everybody. My grandmother was that way, too. Mm -hmm. Now, I spent more time with my grandmother on my mother's side. Mm -hmm. My father's side, when we would come over there, it'd be dirty dishes. And I mean, the dishes had to been there for a month. I don't know how long. I know the water was so filthy. Mm -hmm. And my uncle stayed across the street from my grandmother. So he comes over and he says, y'all need to clean these dishes for your grandma. Yeah. My sister has always been sassy mm-hmm. and didn't care. I would have done it. I just was gonna go home and tell my mom, like, don't don't bring me over there no more. Mm-hmm. They got us cleaning. My <laughs> sister stood up there <laughs> and she said, We ain't washing them dishes. Mm-hmm. Them dishes been there before we got here. Right. You see
2: what I'm saying? That rebel. Like mm-hmm. yes. then she became sassy, like, I'm tired of this. No, we not finna be doing all of this right. up here. He's so. like, Who
0: are who you talking to? She said I'm talking to you. Can you imagine how our ancestors felt? And when they see us in all this space, we got out here with this elbow room that they didn't have. Angry. Think about that. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a little, probably a little bit of envy, a little bit of anger behind that.
2: And I I think that came from what Tamika was saying. Like you're feeling, you were, um, what, desexualized? Like, he wasn't attracted to you because you became this, like, mammy, mammy mm. figure, right? And you're doing all these things. You're thinking, I'm, I'm catering to him. I'm showing I'm, him what I can I'm, be, what yeah. you're getting. Yes. yeah, yeah. Like, And then it's not even appreciated because, you, like, you're doing that. It kind of reminds him of his mother or his grandmother or something like oh, that. right. Oh, and yeah. so you also now feel unappreciated. Then you, that's where the anger comes from. That's where the resentment builds up and right. things like that. Ooh, ooh. And then at me, I'm watching this. Like, you know, I'm seven years old. My grandmother is keeping me on my dad's side. And I see just an underappreciated woman, mm. you know. And someone, and once, when, when I learned the story even more, because, you know, our families keep secrets, mm. right? All black families. Right. The, the
0: worst thing ever. And yeah.
2: so, you know, things start... Developing. My grandfather died. Oh, we got an extra uncle? Okay. And, you know, so you start hearing all of these stories. Oh, that's the reason why she used to live in the, uh, yeah. she used to sleep on the couch. She used to sleep in the back room. Mm-hmm. And she was just so dedicated to her family. Yeah. And I just didn't see the appreciation. So I, vowed to myself to never become dependent on somebody because of that. So I always would observe people- Come on,
0: strong black woman.
2: (laughs) And I, yeah, and that's how I evolved- strong black woman. To the strong black woman role. And so I was always achieving, trying to be independent, doing my thing, because I'm never gonna be dependent on a man.
0: I do want to say this, because I think we have to give homage, because honestly, it breaks my heart. Like I could cry real tears when I think about Our ancestors and women who were full women, just Mm -hmm. like the four of us sitting here, dynamic women who had so much to offer this world, who never got a chance to even get a sniff of what we have been able to accomplish, do, see, travel to, experience Mm -hmm. that just had to stuff that down way down deep. And that breaks my heart for them.
2: y'all. I really just heard a story of my aunt it made my skin crawl. Like I'm getting teary right now because she died taking care of my grandparents when they got sick. Yeah. But she also like put her, her life on hold. She was like this lady full of ambition and she was super smart. She had a life ahead of her and she wanted to do do so many things. when she was married, her, mother-in-law got sick with Alzheimer's and the mother had to move in. She she stopped working to take care of the mother. And it my cousin explained this as a really dark time. She was so like before this happened, she was a vibrant woman. Yeah. When this happened, like her energy levels went down. She was not the same person. Yeah. She was kind of like in a depression. Mm-hmm. And then After their grandmother dies, she decides she wants to go back to school. But then my grandparents get sick. Mm. She starts taking care of them. And then she's also in a, she starts her PhD program. She's going into administration. Then she gets sick. Mm. So she never got a chance to live out her own dream. Mm. And my cousin said to me, she felt like she was a failure because she never lived up to what she came here for.
0: The Mammy role disgusted us in some ways, and we didn't want it, and we rebelled against it. We still have to honor Mammy, because that's the person who stepped in and made sure everything was okay and Mm -hmm. sacrificed a lot of who they were for us to be the women that got all this elbow room. Yes, You know, and Mm -hmm. that makes me sad because I feel like a lot of our ancestors gave up so much for us to be in this space, to even have this conversation. And it also deepens why I feel like our relationships have to be better. Black women, they got to be better. Because there's so many black women who have sacrificed and gave up, who had ambitions and dreams and goals that gave up so that we could have. And it's our job in, you know, moving forward as women as we age to leave something behind for the young women Mm -hmm. that's coming behind us. And I feel like a part of our responsibility is to create the change in the dynamics of our relationships for the young ladies that's coming behind us right. to where black women, we out here powerful on a whole nother level yeah. elevated. That's what, that's what we owe our ancestors living full, yeah. lives. living full like, lives. Absolutely. You know?
2: Having no regret. Yes. Right. And
0: in unity with each other yeah. and, in, and in kindness and respect and support of each other.
2: Right.
0: What's yeah. more powerful than that? Hey, Queens, Kings and good people. I can't believe it either. We only got to Mammy in the first episode. And to be honest with you, Mammy really deserved uh, an entire episode because if you really think just about the evolution of Mammy and everything that was intended to characterize her and cartoon her and take away from her value, in some ways is everything that has made us who we are kind of that scripture where it says what the devil meant for evil, God used for good. Characterizing Mammy in such a way helped black women, our ancestors, to train us on how to do what you gotta do for the moment until it can get better. Do what you gotta do right now so that you can survive, so that you don't have to do it later. And as we evolved, we took bits and pieces of what Mammy gave us, And we begin to stand up for ourselves. We begin to see our value. Times begin to change. And so without Mammy taking on some of the nurturing roles and the protective roles and the roles in the home to make sure that as women, we learn how to navigate and how to do, none of us black women would have the elbow room that we do today for us to even be on a podcast to have a discussion about the role of Mammy. So I pay big homage to Mammy. What was meant to characterize her and make her seem less than actually was the epitome of essence and strength in our community. I pay a tribute to Mammy and her role in the evolution of black women. You guys got to join back next Tuesday for another episode of These Three Things. We're going to start back with Angry Black Woman. I actually think we'll get the rest of the stereotypes done in episode two. I'll see you next week for a new episode of these three things podcast. I am Sharana Reeves. I am with the Queens of Houston, Judy, Ebony, Tamika, and of course, our resident therapist, executive coach, Dr. Patricia Thompson. I'll see you next week. Oh, and let me just remind you guys or tell you guys tomorrow night, Wednesday, 8 p.m. Central Standard Time, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, Judy from this episode and I will be doing an IG live talking about this episode and just sharing some of our thoughts about our conversation, their trip to Savannah, the role of Mammy, and a little bit about what we talked about as far as angry black woman and some of the other stereotypes that we address later in the episode. See you there. If you like what you've been hearing today, I encourage you to go to wherever you're listening to this podcast and leave a review. And tell me what you loved about this episode.